Uh, welcome. I'm so glad that you're with us today, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Uh, my mom is currently on a bus in Quebec on her way to catch a plane. Hi, Mom. I know she's watching right now, and uh, she was out visiting my dad. He's working out there, so no Father's Day there this, today, but that's okay. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel, and I'm so glad that we're continuing in our Galatians series today. I've been really enjoying our work through this book. I I love that we do this. I, I think it's so important that we spend time working our way through books of the Bible, letting the Bible speak for itself, seeing what it has to say on its own terms, and I'm so glad that we get to do this together. It feels so enriching, and I hope you feel the same way. Uh, today we're going to be on Galatians chapter 5, and I'm excited to get into it with you. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll talk about the chapter. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your great goodness. Thank you for all the ways that you provide for us, that you care for us, that you show your great love for us each day. Lord, some of us are having a hard time hearing that today. Speak louder. You're so good, God. Speak to us today. In your name, amen. So today we are looking at Galatians chapter 5. There's only one chapter left in this book after today, and the whole theme of the, the whole theme, not team, the theme of this book has been that the church in Galatia, which is a region and sort of in the middle part of Turkey, if you're interested, has been infiltrated and influenced by a group of Christians known as the Judaizers. This is not their first rodeo, and nor is it Paul's first rodeo going up against them. In fact, he's already told us earlier in this letter about a time when he and Peter got into this very issue, presumably years ago at this point, in Antioch at Paul's home church. And the thing for the Judaizers, the issue that they're about, is this idea that in order to come to Jesus, you must first come through Moses. That in order to be a Christian, you must first become a Jew. And this is expressed primarily by adherence to the Mosaic law. And this itself is presented primarily in three issues that pop up over the course of the New Testament as they're navigating this question. Those three issues are dietary restrictions, circumcision, and to a lesser degree, Sabbath observance. I hope the word circumcision doesn't bother you today. In case you've read this chapter, I had it. It's, uh, it's going to come up. In the last chapter, we saw Paul's pastoral heart for this church coming through as he begged and pleaded with them not to abandon Christ by returning to the law. He made some beautiful comparisons, declaring us as heirs in the household of God, free from the oversight of the law and inheritors of everything that God has. A promise of the great good that there is in sticking with Christ. And then, in the previous chapter, Paul makes the case for the opposite side of the same coin. Having established the benefits of Christ, he then presents the dangers and difficulties of remaining in the law. Chapter 5 picks up in the middle of this case. Remember Paul's discussion of the two women who bore Abraham's sons. One was a free woman and one a slave, one a situation that represented faith and trust in God, and one that represented human scheming and cleverness. The last verse of chapter 4 is this, Galatians 4.31, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Context established, 
This is ringing bells, I hope. Let's read chapter 5 together, and then we'll discuss. Galatians chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being, still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What a great chapter. There's just there's so much. There's so much. I hope you're able to pick out some points that you're kind of like, I can't wait to talk about this some more because we're going to work through it again and I'm excited about it, but I, I hope you're kind of engaged with it that way. Let's work through it together. So going, jumping back to chapter one, it is for, or verse one rather, not chapter one. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I think it's so interesting that Paul uses language like do not let yourselves. Slavery is not something that we imagine people choosing. Maybe if we really stretched in our minds, we could see a situation where someone's like so badly in debt or in so much trouble that they choose to become a slave as something of a means to escape. But it really does feel like a big stretch. And yet this is Paul's warning to the Galatians. 
don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This calls back to some of the themes that we've seen earlier in this letter and which we've seen throughout the Bible. The importance of choice and God's pleading with us to choose Him and to choose life. Verse 2, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the law. Because we understand that that's how the law works, right? Doing good in one area or even 99% of the time doesn't make up for breaking the law. Sometimes it might get you some leniency, but it doesn't cancel it. Like if you leave church today and you're in a hurry to get home for Father's Day lunch, maybe there's barbecue waiting for you, and you go through a red light and the lights and the sirens come on behind you, the policeman isn't going to let you off because you're on your way home from church. Oh no, I was, I was at church. I, I follow the law all the rest of the time. That's not how law-breaking works, right? Understand? And Paul wants that to be clear. Letting the Judaizers have their way on this one issue means submitting yourself to all of it. And I want to be clear on something else regarding this issue. That when Paul speaks of circumcision, he is using it as a shorthand for Mosaic law observance. The problem is not circumcision per se. It's that the problem is submitting to the law after Christ has already redeemed you. And I bring this up because this is an active issue for some people, namely men. Not so much for women. Currently, today in Canada, approximately one-third of all baby boys get circumcised. In the mid-20th century, 1950 circa, it was about half. In fact, it was over half. So there's a good chance that there are men sitting here today who have either done that or, more likely, have had it done for them by their parents. And Paul's words can be very alarming. But I want to be clear that being circumcised is not the problem. And you know how I know? Because Paul was circumcised. Paul himself. Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 3. And frankly, we could have inferred it anyway from the mere fact that he was Jewish, but he came out right out and said it, so it might as well, right? But not only that, skip verse 4 for now and jump down with me to verse 5 and look at what Paul says. Through the Spirit, we either eagerly await by the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And in fact, Paul says something very similar in 1 Corinthians, which we've studied together fairly recently, just in case you needed a little more reinforcement on this issue. In 1 Corinthians 7, 18 to 19, we read, Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Well, let's jump back a touch to verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. 
And I want to bring this up because this is one of those points where our society has actually flipped this phrase on its head. Do you hear the phrase being said in our media, like now, oh, it's just a few bad apples? The phrase is, a few bad apples spoils the bunch. A few bad apples is not an excuse for the rest. That's, that's the point of the phrase. And falling from grace literally means the opposite of how we usually think of it. We usually think of it as getting into some sort of moral scandal, right? We can think about a politician or a celebrity who falls from grace. But this is the opposite of grace. We aren't saved by our good behavior, nor are we unsaved by our bad behavior. To fall away from grace does not mean that we have committed some sin or fallen into a scandal. In fact, it means that we're trusting in our goodness, in our very ability to stay out of sin and scandal. That's what it means to fall from grace, is to no longer be trusting that grace. I'm worked up. (laughs) Okay, let's continue with the chapter in verse 7 seeing as we've jumped around a little bit. I promise I won't do that anymore. It's a little bit confusing. Last week, in the previous chapter, we could see Paul's pastoral care, his fatherly heart coming out for the people of Galatia. But now, this is not pastoral care anymore. Paul has been getting progressively more worked up as the letter gone Now, now it's Papa Bear. Now the claws are coming out. Remember, Paul didn't physically write most of his letters. He dictated them, including this one. And I'm sure we'll see evidence of that next week. Can you just imagine with me Paul pacing the room as he dictates? He's saying what he wants to say in this letter. And as he gets to this part, you can almost see him frothing at the mouth. Listen. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. This is kind of like a few bad apples spoils the bunch. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go out of the whole way and emasculate themselves. Can you see it? (laughs) That was fun. Once again... Paul impugns the faith of the Judaizers in verse 8. He is livid because he sees the eternal souls of the Galatians on the line. And apparently, the Judaizers have even put their words into Paul's mouth. Right? They're saying, even Paul thinks this. Oh yeah, we're just telling you what Paul thinks. And Paul denies it by virtue that he is being persecuted by Jews for failing to follow the law. Fortunately, for both the Galatians and for the sake of my voice, Paul's tone softens now as he addresses the Galatians directly and he gives them some direction for how to live. Verse 13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
But do not use your freedom to flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. I don't think I need to elaborate on that. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And I'd like to punctuate this with another passage from Paul's writing. Galatians sometimes gets referred to as the little Romans, and I want to check in with the big Romans to see what they have to say on this topic. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 20. Paul says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I hate, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, No longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. I bring up this passage because I want to emphasize that this isn't a case of one thing or the other. Paul, the great man of God, the writer of half the books of our New Testament, struggled with his sinful nature too. What he is saying is something akin to the old proverb about there being two wolves inside you. Which one wins? The one you feed. Paul says that there are two natures at war inside you. The spirit, by which he means the things of God and purposeful, righteous living, and the flesh, by which Paul means being ruled by our desires, particularly our lusts, hungers, and laziness. Which brings us back to Paul's words here in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Feed that wolf. Finally, Paul gives us some direction now on what to look for behaviorally. Remember, our righteousness does not come from doing good things. That's sort of been the point. Rather, good things are an indication of our right standing with God. Jesus talked about knowing a tree by its fruit, and Paul does the same here. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm sure Paul had his reasons for including all of these items in this list, 
But I personally am a bit frustrated by the blending of obvious and seemingly big sin with the sort of subtle and private sin that many of us would like to excuse in our own lives. Because it's really easy to read a list like that and go, wow, I'm not doing witchcraft, I'm not involved in drunkenness or orgies, I must be doing pretty good. But some of these sins are so pervasive that we often don't even realize that we're doing it. Impurity, for example, doesn't take much, right? Like impurity is not, that's not hard to get into. What about dissension and factions? There's one that churches see all the time. Well, I think we need to, and what about, and why don't they ever seem to, it's really easy to get into that in church. Not to mention, our whole culture seems to thrive on envy. Like our whole economy is built on the idea of envy, it seems like some days. Because we all know intellectually that we haven't arrived, and we still, as Paul says, do what we do not want to do. But sometimes we can forget, or it can slip by, and then pride comes in because we don't realize. On the other hand, Paul also gives us fruit to look for that suggests we are getting closer to God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Ah, the fruit of the Spirit. Favorite preaching topic of pastors all over the world. We did a series on them back in summer of 2021, if you're interested. But the point is this. If you can pick out if you can pick out which of the acts of the flesh that you tend toward, then you can probably also pick out which of the fruit of the Spirit corresponds as sort of an opposite and that you can start watching for that in your life when you spend more time with God. If you struggle with fits of rage, then you're going to want to take notes when you're feeling more peace. If you're struggling with envy, you're going to want to notice when self-control starts showing up. Because again, this is not about our effort. This isn't about you trying to be more self-controlled or trying to be more patient or gentle. It's about focusing on our relationship with God and trusting Him for our righteousness and enjoying the fruit that comes with being close to the author and the perfecter of our souls. Let's remember that this week. Next week, we're going to finish up the, ch- the book, and I'm excited to be there with you. And don't forget about the church picnic next week, but let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll let everybody get home to their barbecue or otherwise. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, there's a lot here. Lord, we want to be close to you. We want, we want the fruit of the Spirit, God. We want to be people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. God, we want to be known as your people. Hold us close to you, God. We know that we can't do it on our own effort. We can't force those things out 
any more than we can force our gardens to produce. But Lord, in some great mystery, you bring those fruit out of us as we draw near to you. So keep us close, Lord. Keep us close this week. Remind us of your presence and your goodness and your great love for us. In your name we pray. Amen.